The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world going into the postseason with no momentum. I'm Jake Mitz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and you can call us the Texas Rangers. Oh, what a way to enter October for the first time since 2016. Jake, it's been a while since the Texas Rangers were in it, and you would think that with them starting a postseason game in a few days, they'd be feeling great. But no, that was one of the biggest takeaways from today, game 162. We are recording this at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. And this episode of Baseball Barbercast, the special Sunday night edition, we are going to recap game 162 and kind of close the book on the regular season as best we can. Tomorrow, Monday morning, we will wake up and we will record our wild card round preview, but we have to close the regular season chapter first. There are 30 days in September, just 30. Today is October 1st, but it is not October yet, okay? Today should be September 31st, as far as I'm concerned. Tomorrow well, is October 1st. I agree with you. The post regular season baseball games in October bothers the shit out of me. I agree with you. That, that think- Because <laughs> we were saying, oh, this team's going October. We're not talking about they are going to make it to game 162. We, we are talking about the postseason. In Colorado, in Denver at Coors Field, it should say Rocktober for the regular season game on Rocktober 1st. Yes, everyone should have to totally rebrand for game 162. Take Uh, October, parentheses, first. We cannot cannot switch our brains into postseason mode just yet. Now, I will say that game 162 is a little bit less exciting than when we spoke on Friday, we thought it could be. And when we spoke earlier today, uh, you made the point that we really need to appreciate when the stars align in this to this degree uh, as they did in 2011. I, I, we are still waiting for this. And I even said it on Thursday, on Thursday and Friday, like, this is all looking like we're heading towards chaos and we probably aren't. However, we did have some interesting stuff happen today involving the seeding. We woke up on Sunday morning knowing the 12 postseason teams. Well, we should we, say, Jordan, that yes. we have not spoken since the Seattle Mariners pulled their pants down and ran around the town square. Yeah, I'm get, we're getting to that. We're, <laughs> that's a relevant part of the story, okay? All right, we're building we're building towards the pain, my friend. Okay, I'm so glad. You know, I was so happy for you on Friday about the Orioles being, uh, you know, winning the division. And now it is time to get salty. Dreams Woo! of Orioles-Mariners postseason series officially dead. But on Friday, the Mariners won baseball game, which meant that on Saturday, all they had to do was show up, push it to Sunday. And on Saturday night, what they needed was a win. And they they, they were still aligned for the division on Saturday morning. Think about that. Because if they were able to mop the Rangers and the Astros were to lose one, they would finish with a crazy tie and the Mariners would come out on top. But no, they dropped the game. It was not particularly close And then what they needed, they were watching in Arizona as the Houston Astros 
hung on to a 1-0 lead. And the D-backs, in an incredible tribute to the Seattle Mariners, were stranding runner after runner after runner. Ultimately, Corbin Carroll does not drive in the game-tying run. And with the Astros winning and the Mariners losing, the Mariners were indeed eliminated. But Jake, that set up an interesting situation on Sunday. Yes, it did. That meant that the 12 clubs in October were set and settled. The only thing to decide on the final day of the season was seeding. But it wasn't just seeding, right? In the American League West, the difference between the two seed and the five seed was up for grabs. The Astros and the Rangers. If the Rangers were to lose to the Mariners, the team that they just sent to packing, and the Astros beat the Diamondbacks again, the Astros, those Houston Astros that we have seen year and year and year again here in the month of October would take the AL West. And that's exactly what happened. The Seattle Mariners with a relevant win, 1-0 over the Rangers on Sunday while the Astros boat raced the Diamondbacks to take the American League West. That pushes the Rangers into the wildcard round down to the five seed. They'll have to go to Tampa Bay to play the Rays while the Astros get some time off. Think about the difference there. They could have headed home to Arlington and hung out for five days, chilling, awaiting their next opponent. Instead, they have to take about as far of a flight as you could take as a Major League Baseball player and play a very important playoff game for the first time since 2016 in two days. That is a hell of a life come at you fast. Now, there was some discourse running. Oh, on Saturday, when the Rangers won and clinched at least the spot, they celebrated. The Astros, who also clinched a spot, saw bigger things, and they did merely a classy champagne toast. The Rangers surely were partying all night, and they weren't ready the next day, while the Astros spent the whole night game planning against Kyle Nelson, and that's why they came out on Sunday and won the division. No, I, okay, there's a big I difference. Agree. I agree with some of what you said. <laughs> okay, now here's the thing. Uh, here's what I would say to the to the celebration discourse. Um, the Rangers put themselves in this position over the last month and a half. I think they should. I do not blame them for celebrating on Saturday because making the postseason for the first time since 2016 is worthy of celebration. I cannot comment on whether they spent all night you know, drinking or whatever. I, it seems like that is not the case. Kennedy Landry, who we've had on the show, said, yeah, as soon as Houston won, they knew that they had to wake up and try to win the division. At the same time, facing George Kirby, whether or not it means anything to the Mariners or not, is very different than facing Kyle Nelson. And a D-backs team that was also somewhat incentivized to lose, if we assume they would rather play the Brewers than the Phillies. But either way, the thing is that the Rangers left it up to this final day is really all that matters. And baseball is weird. And the Astros have once again unfortunately for everybody else, capitalized in a undeniably impressive way. In the post-game celebration in the locker room, there is a clip of one Mr. Alex Bregman, the talisman of these Houston Astros, the third baseman who, for many casual baseball fans, is public enemy number one or two of the Astros dynasty. He's up there, that's for sure. He has this smile, this smarmy smile on his face that he flashes when he knows, where he's letting you know how good he is. He knows how good he is. He knows how lucky and fortunate he is to be on this juggernaut team. And he is totally fine rubbing it 
in your face at all times. And that is what he did in the locker room. This clip of him saying, oh, Jordan, it was so good. He basically says, uh, oh, people were wondering what it would be like if the Astros didn't win the division. I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. And pops the cork. You gotta just, I mean, it is, I... (laughs) I respect it as much as I despise it. Alex Bregman next week or this weekend, whatever the DS starts, will be playing in his 87th career postseason game, Jake. Okay. Alex Bregman has played 86 postseason games since the Rangers last played in October. Okay. That is the podium on which he stands and pisses everybody off. And while you can hate it, as you absolutely should if you're a neutral, god damn it, they did it again. And by the way, you asked me all freaking season. You asked, oh, we've said all this all year. Yeah, Houston's going to win the division. Yeah, I'll still pick Houston in the AL. I'll, all these things, right? You're gonna, people are going to ask me, oh, who you got in the World Series? Blah, 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 blah. I'll just keep picking Houston until I'm wrong. And when I'm wrong, I'll enjoy it. But until then, this is the team that has shown us time and time again the opposite of what I was complaining about with the Mariners last week. They will show up. No matter what the assignment is, they absolutely will show up. And you can hate it, but sorry, that's what it is. I look forward to someone finding a way to knock them off or stop them from going to the CS again. But until then, you kind of just got to say, well, shit, here they are again. Respect. They hate us because they ain't us, Jordan. Yeah, facts. Uh, so the Astros win the AOS. Uh, what's what's the big deal? Of course they did. Um, so yeah. The Rangers. Imagine wow. saying that like months ago or like at the beginning <laughs> of the season. Hey, the Astros won the AOS. You'd be like, uh, okay, yeah. Couple quick minutes on the Mariners before we say goodbye to them and move to the National League. How are you doing? Last night was not fun. Last night was a, yeah. was a pretty bad time. I know, of course, when we talked on Friday, I had missed the epic JP walkoff. They had a blowout victory on Friday, which I very much enjoyed. I watched every minute of that. We had a JP Grand Slam. It was all great. But last night, the the combination of the way that they lost. And which which was just Luis Castillo's command completely abandoning him. Matt Brash coming in earlier than he ever had. He walks in a run. Just offense, Julio, terrible again. Like everything just came crashing down, right? But again, same t- is Julio going to get off-season surgery? Did you see this? Is Julio going to get off-season surgery? Yeah, to have the dog implanted in him. <laughs> Because right now I I heard he doesn't have. have if there's it in one him. thing that uh, he he could maybe work on this offseason, yes, it would be that a, an ugly finish to the year for J Rod, uh, undeniably. And that's the thing. Like if you, there are people that have not watched the Mariners at all in the last month, will pull up Julio's stats and be like, "What the fuck are you complaining about?" And like honestly, fair. Like the number yeah, like of people, he, yeah. Like the number of I still believe like the number of players I would rather build my franchise around is so short. Other than Julio, like that duh. is true, but at, in, in, with great talent comes great expectations. Like, oh, 100. And he he know. sucked. He was awful. He looked like a worse version of the version he looked like in April, right? And it goes to show you how amazing he was for that six week stretch to get his numbers to the to the degree right. they were. But whatever. Point is, they bungled it. They put themselves in a position to bungle it because they've been bad as a timber up to this point. So leaving your your season on the line, hoping that the D backs beat the Astros, like sorry, that sucks for you as a fan though watching it. It's, it's a helpless feeling on many respects because the fact that it was still a one-run game in Arizona and you're dreaming of one more day to at least have a chance, 
And this is now the fourth time since 2014 that the Mariners have been eliminated in either game 161 or game 162. No other team has come even close to that. And for me personally, Jake, like it, I've kind of, not that I didn't know this before, but like, it's really as simple for me as like, this is my only team. I don't yeah. care about other teams, <laughs> other in, sports, any other sports. Most of the people that I follow on Mariners Twitter, they're not that they're not as big Mariners fans as me, but like, they're going to be pissed for a couple days and then they're going to go watch the Seahawks or go watch the Kraken or go watch whatever. Right. That's fine. UW football. You know, UW football. Right. Great. And I'm happy for them. I'm glad. I have just poured it all into this stupid team. And so, like, I don't have anything else to turn to. And so when their season ends, whenever it does, often in excruciating fashion, it's just you're just kind of left numb. And, like, I love that and I hate that. It's what made last year so fun. But that's really why, like, it was just, like, it's – it's of course, all baseball fans, when their season ends, you're, you're staring down a long winter and all those things. But – I don't have an alternative and I don't plan to pick up an alternative. So <laughs> I know that I've kind of left myself with that. But all that said, as for the discourse involving Cal Raleigh's comments, so we need to spend more money, we need to get more players. Like, yeah, duh, duh. all these things. Like, if you want to hear more of those thoughts on that, host a Mariners podcast and invite me. I'll spare Jake. But RIP to the Mariners. It was a very unfortunate ending. Um, and yeah, super duper sucked. And on top of that, maximum pain. The fact that they go and throw the MLB leading 18th shutout of the season to help the Astros win the division is a new, a new, (laughs) a new twist on the end of a, of a failed Seattle Mariners season. It's a somehow, this is what's most impressive about that. The Mariners, (laughs) the goats of conveying pain Mm -hmm. found a new flavor today. This was a flavor of misery, a style of. I didn't know this pain. was available. I didn't know I, this was on the menu. It was off the menu. Okay. <laughs> it's at, I'll have the pain animal style, please. Uh, and that's the thing. That's why I was like, oh, maybe I don't want this to extend to Sunday so that it'll be even worse. But but this was even worse. I mean, right. this is just like worst case scenario. So anyway, obviously that sucks a lot. But credit to the Astros. Rangers, you blew it. Really unfortunate. Um, and now they are in a very precarious position, pitching-wise especially. I have no clue. I guess they'll have at least Montgomery available, I assume, although that might be short rest. I don't know. We'll preview all the wildcard stuff on Monday. Jake, but that is the American League? Oh, that's yeah. the American League. Just so people know, if if you know, yeah. it's Rays against Rangers and yeah. Twins against Blue Jays. Right, and that's the other thing about this is uh, the Blue Jays you know, lost to Tampa. I found that interesting that the the Rays like sort of had the opportunity to lose to Toronto and maybe be in a position to keep Toronto uh, or play to Toronto again, but it's you know they end up with Texas, whatever. That's the American League. Let's move to the NL, Jake. This ended up at least today being a lot less interesting, but there were some kind of odd dynamics at play. So when we last spoke, we were coming hot off the heels of will the Marlins need to play on Monday? And the answer to that is no. However, though, if you look on MLB.com and you go to Monday on the calendar, that game is up there as still in progress, which is incredibly hilarious. So and, the Mar- and will be in progress forever. It will never end. That game will never end for for all of eternity. No. So, uh, yeah. so basically what ends up happening is the Cubs and Reds both lose enough games that it makes the Diamondbacks and Marlins game somewhat irrelevant. The Marlins end up winning on Saturday, that Friday and Saturday, that pushes them into the five spot. 
Diamondbacks get swept at home by the Astros, pushing them down to the six. Now, it's worth debating whether or like, would you rather have the five or the six? And the answer to that is you would much rather have the six seed. If you're the six seed, you have to play the Brewers and then the Dodgers. If you are the four, the, the five seed, you have to play the Phillies and then the Braves. I would rather have those first two teams. I agree, but who fucking knows? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. And my bigger issue with Arizona is they're going into the postseason on an L4 in which they scored two runs uh, <laughs> or three runs total with like 10 hits. So like that, it would be my my issue with them. Now, again, I agree. I'd much rather face try and get the Brewers out than try and get the Phillies out, especially with the pitching that Arizona now doesn't have because they use Zach Gallen on Friday. I assume he'll come back for at least one of those games. He will start game two. Merrill Kelly, however, started yesterday, yeah. and therefore he will not be ready until game three. And so, right. so what I've heard going is to that game the one. projected starter for game one is going to be Brandon Fott. Okay, so either way, um, we'll see. Whatever. It doesn't mean I, I agree with you. It seems like an easier path. At this point, they're just trying to get in. So D-Max and Marlins get in. Cubs and Reds will say goodbye to you later. Let's talk about D-Max and Marlins quickly clinching. Again, I just mentioned the D-Rex. Let's talk about the Marlins quickly. Um, before we take a break, uh, the Miami Marlins wow. are going to a real postseason. Oh, well, but they uh, had an extra team. Okay. Well, guess what? They are the five and not the six. And exactly. also they freaking earned it. They did. Jordan. This team has been through some shit, man. And Skip Schumacher said, I don't care. We go into October. Before the season, you and I made a YouTube video about the history of the Miami Marlins and how they are one of the most bizarre franchises in American sports because they have been to two real postseasons before this year. They won the wild card in 1997, 2003, and won the World Series both times. They have never won the NL East. They have never won the NL East. They have two World Series titles since they started in 1993. Okay? Mm -hmm. And we spun that forward, and we said, what's the path to success for this team look like? And we couldn't envision it. What we recommended was basically go full small ball, get a bunch of contact hitters, run everybody out of the yard. And that is not what happened. What happened is Skip Schumacher. Skip is the truth. His ability to, like, I have never felt more confident in voting for a manager of the year. You know what <laughs> I, I mean? Know, right? Like, it is the most assured I feel, even though we don't actually vote for that. Like, Skip has such a perfect feel for this team. He has gotten the best out of a very average, frankly, group of players, and he has willed them down the stretch towards the postseason and gotten them to commit and believe in themselves against all odds. And I am unbelievably impressed. And, and anybody I, you talk to around baseball, yeah, it is like, I cannot believe what that guy pulled off. And Kim Ang deserves a lot of that credit too for that's, the pieces. This is what I was going to go to. So I, I totally agree. And, and the players will tell you Skip is a massive part of that. Josh Bell went on and on yesterday. Josh Bell's been on a ton of teams with, with managers who are very well respected and very, seriously, look at Josh Bell's resume, right? Like he's played for a lot of great managers. For him to respect Skip to the degree that he is, who's not that much older than him, right? I also, but but I look at that team. And I think about what, again, we talked about in that video that we, that we recorded and they're like, yeah, lean into it. Just go full pitching defense, steal a bunch of bags with the new bases and the new rules. Like go do it. Right. 
And no, what they did was they reacted to the fact that they survived the first month by generally being a pretty pitching-centric team. And then when they saw the opportunity that the Mets were dog shit and the rest of the National League was open for them, they went out and got some boppers, Jake Berger and Josh Bell. And those guys have both been so big. They were big again this weekend. And so they realized that and then they made the right ones, right? The before with the Soler and the Garcia. And, and some of these players are still around who are who are not good, right? Like Joey Wendell has a 555 OPS. Like Jacob Stallings somehow better than OPS than Joey Wendell, which is, says more about Joey Wendell. But the point is, it's like some of these moves still haven't worked, but they've done enough. They've yeah. done enough and they have been aggressive. And that is where you absolutely have to give a ton of credit to Kim Ang because not only did she take on the opportunity and the realize the urgency that they that this was a team worth pushing in for. She was able to navigate and just in terms of managing this roster, and this is also where it comes back to Skip, with the injuries that they have. And this is the unfortunate part is they are going to go into the postseason without Sandy and without Yuri Perez, as far as we know. Like that sucks, right? There's a version of this team when we were dreaming of the Marlins maybe making where it was like, if they could just get there... Think of the pitching, and it does suck that they don't have that. Lazardo is amazing. I think he could absolutely beat anybody. Beyond that, we'll see. But the, but just getting there, regardless amazing. of all the things that went right, they had to push the right buttons. Front office on down, they did it, and huge credit to them. It's a legitimate accomplishment. This organization has received a ton of shit over the years for a, you know general ineptitude, and the culture of that place has changed. That is more important than even making the postseason this year. It's part of why they made the postseason this year. And the Marlins, and this is the last point before we take a break, like the Marlins do not have as bright a future as the Baltimore Orioles or the Seattle Mariners Mm -hmm. or even the Texas Rangers. Some of these clubs that have kind of blossomed out into relevance over the last couple of years. They don't have that same obvious path to sustainable contention because of their player personnel, right? However, the culture in place and the processes in place and the systems in place put in by Kim Ang and Skip Schumacher and a bunch of the other people there, like that is a big deal moving forward. Exactly. Jordan? Because now we want to bet on them. We do think they can right. outperform. We do think they can do whatever. Are they going to go 35 and 13 one-run games again? Maybe not, but I totally agree with you. Let's take a break. And when we return, we will say goodbye to all of the teams not making it to October We will note on a couple bizarre Game 162 moments, Joey Votto ejection, Wayno and Miggy say goodbye. Zach Granke gets a win, and we'll take a look at the draft lottery. I was at Citi Field today for the Buck Showalter firing, so we'll touch on that. Kapler, when we return. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this post. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast Pod 162. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Joey Votto. 
Joey Votto might be done. Joey Votto might not be done. I don't think Joey Votto is done, personally. That is based upon very little because I have not seen him in person or watched the Reds play a baseball game, unlike Jordan. I don't think he's done. However, he could be. And today, in what might be his final Major League Baseball game, uh, Joey Votto got the (laughs) heave-ho. He was told to beat it, sport. And Joey Votto, who uh, correctly identified a bad ball strike call, uh, ends up striking out. And then my understanding is he goes back to the dugout and he keeps yelling at the umpire uh, and then he gets ejected. And everyone's like, holy shit, what kind of ump show would have you ejecting Joey Votto in maybe his last game? Like, this is ridiculous. And I agree with that. There's really, there's uh, no disputing that general take that everybody had. But Joey Votto, while the game was still in progress, decided to tweet the following. That's how you know you're a boss. When you're <laughs> you're tweeting during the game, like, you can't do that if you're a second-year player. I honestly am curious if, like, this is such a ridiculous thing. Like, is he going to get fined for this? Like, he tweeted during the... Anyway, uh, Votto tweeted, you can't I cannot... Get fined. You can't get fined if you're... Like, it's the opposite of why guys get fined. Guys get fined for telling people that I'm suck. Joey Votto's no, like... No, I know. No, I'm just saying... Right. I'm just saying using your phone and social media <laughs> during the game. But anyway, Votto tweets, I cannot holler at the umpire from our team's bench. He was completely justified in ejecting me for those that wanted to see me play today. I am sorry. This is actually a theme we've seen in Votto's career before where he's been ejected and he has gone way out of his way to like apologize to fans who have been really upset, like young fans who have been really upset that he got ejected and didn't get to play. Like he genuinely feels bad about this. However, classic Joey Votto, he's like, yeah, no, I couldn't do that. And the video of him getting ejected is not that we can lip read and I'm sure there'll be some version of John Boy that will do this that may or may not be accurate. But... Joey kind of corresponding with the umpire and understanding like, oh, okay, like, yes, that is why I was ejected is really potentially a hell of a way for his career to end. I hope it doesn't. I'm leaning towards, yes, he is done, but we will see. Him in the post game in what is a fire cardigan, just letting the truth out, taking total fault for it. Shouts out to you, Joey Votto. I hope it's not the end. If it is, we will give you more time over the winter. Two other goodbyes to note. Goodbyes that are definitely goodbyes, Miguel Cabrera and Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright got an at-bat in Saturday's uh, football loss to the Cincinnati Reds. He grounded out sharply to second base. 102 exit below. Pretty impressive. Higher than certain players this year, certainly. And then he brought down the house. Taylor Swift is showing up to sporting events. Well, guess what? Adam Wainwright can play some music, too. I have to look through the songs. We had the bet uh, how many times Adam Wainwright would reference uh, one of his teammates or another baseball mm-hmm. player in his country songs. I need, still need to do that. Uh, but I believe he played four ditties for the crowd at Bush Stadium. And the place was place was rocking. And then today, he uh, not only got, I think he got another at-bat, but he also um, was did the whole ceremony before the game. And Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols showing up. We'll see if they're referenced in any of those songs. But Yadi Molina apparently making his first Bush Stadium appearance of the season. So that, I think, is says something, I would say. 
Um, not in a conspiratorial way, but just says how much it is. How, if there was going to be something that was going to get you know Yachty off the couch to go back to St. Louis uh, to Bush Stadium, it was going to be it was going to be this. So that was very cool to see. Which other player in baseball do you want to have uh, their career end with a concert that they perform? <laughs> oh boy, interesting. Well, I, I would like if it to be someone like people sort of knew that Adam Wainwright like did this in the background. It was a surprise to some people, but I would want it to be someone where it is completely out of love. Like I would love for for Joey Votto to announce tomorrow, or, or if he had announced, you know, last week, or whatever. Be like, hey, you know, last home game, do this, and then like I'm gonna DJ like a you know like a techno concert right. after the game. You're like, what? Like, what did this? Sure, come dude. From? Corey Kluber wants oh, to retire yeah. as a guardian, and he's mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna, you know, we're doing opera, right? Uh, exactly at, at the Jake. I want it to be totally out of left field, like just completely like we're not ready for that. And I, I'd, I'd be more interested in that. But we'll see. Again, if you have any information about the Wayno album if, where we can listen to it or any of that stuff, we'll we'll go do, do the listening and research ourselves and, you know, write a review on Pitchfork or whatever. Um, also, Miguel Cabrera. We have one more goodbye. We got to talk about Miggy. Yeah. Mm, man. So first of all, if you want to see anything involving Miggy over the last week or obviously whole year, Daniel Alvarez, frequent podcast uh, guest here, has been has been the the Miggy plug for quite some time. Obviously, uh, the king of Venezuelan baseball, Daniel Alvarez, has known Miggy since I think he was little. Um, since Daniel was little, of course, he's a lot younger than Miggy is. But he documented so much of the festivities in Detroit this weekend. And you know, I, I sort of you know did this with Pools too. And it's not that it's true with Votto and Wainwright, but Miggy's career is one of you do got to take some time to appreciate the numbers because holy shit, man. I mean, this is, he was 94% of Albert Pujols. I mean, is that too, like, and and when you consider that Pujols is one of the, you know, five to 10 best right-handed hitters ever, like he's not that far behind. And the other thing about Miggy too, I was looking up how what, what, his decline, when you compare him and Pools, it's interesting because Pools also had a sharp decline in his 30s, obviously, but then sort of had this weird resurgence and even succeeded more into his mid-30s, whereas Miggy, after age 33, it was just bad. It was bad, right? Zippo. But if you look through age 33, Miggy had more total bases than Pujols through age 33. Think about that, right? Like that is where both of them came up, you know, really, really young and were amazing immediately. Everything about just all the counting stats is, is so staggering. And the other thing that stands out to me when comparing him and Pujols, look at Miggy's career average. It's still well over 300, whereas Pujols, we watched it slowly fall below 300 in his final years. So all the thing and him being in Detroit for that long, it's it's just so it's so cool. And um, yeah, he is, uh, he is something and I'm curious what he does next for sure. From 2005 to 2016, this is an 11 year stretch, a 12 year stretch, sorry from age 22 to age 33. Miguel Cabrera slashed 326, 405, 571 over an 11-year span. He's a 326 hitter and hit 401 home runs over that time. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. What a peak. What a thing. He announced his presence to the world with the 2003 Florida Marlins. It, like, what a hello. You know? <laughs> yeah. The only regret, the only regret is that he never got a ring with Detroit. And yeah, and came close, and that's what sucks. It's hard, man. It's hard to win. Yeah. Hard to win. It is so really, Miguel Cabrera, really hard to win. what a freaking thing you were. 
really revolutionized hitting in a lot of ways and, and definitely an inspiration to a ton of young Venezuelan hitters out there. So to see him go, a bittersweet goodbye. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Miguel Cabrera, who's uh, would have a $30 million option vest next year if he finishes top 10 in MVP voting. So again, we don't have AL MVP votes, but that'd be pretty funny. Be pretty funny if we uh, make Biggie come back for $30 million. I don't think he would complain. I mean, the real uh, right, conspiracy Jake. The real conspiracy <laughs> yeah. here is this, okay? Yeah. If I'm the Royals or the White Sox, uh-huh. I'm going mm. to multiple writers and I'm saying, <laughs> I'm I will give you a million dollars to do this each, to put in first. How much is it worth? And then yes. what will happen is the option will vest and the Tigers will be on the hook for $30 million in their payroll next year. That is who benefits the most, is the other AL Central teams. So I love that conspiracy. It's great. Speaking of the AL Central, quickly also, Zach Greinke, like Votto, we don't know for sure if he is done. He's not Um, done. You're saying he's not. I think he's definitely more likely to come back than Votto, I would say. I think Uh, if the way it was explained to me by someone in baseball was Zach Greinke loves money. (laughs) And if someone will give it to him to play, he will take it. Uh, we will see if the Royals have higher aspirations than letting him pitch again next year. But either way, if he did, if this is the end, uh, he won a game, which he had not done since May 3rd. So congrats to Zach Greinke and um, the end of a miserable season in Kansas City. Uh, Jake Mintz, we also need to say goodbye to a couple teams. Let's do it. No more Mariners talk. Let's talk about the Cubs. Oh, God Damn it, this was not great. And not we, great. I, wow. I'm going to defend the Cubs. Okay, do it. If I told you the beginning of this season, Jordan Schusterman, that the Chicago Cubs would finish the year, okay, would finish the year with a record of 83 and 79, you would be like, yeah. Yeah, but That's, I wouldn't be like, yeah. Woo-hoo. No, you wouldn't be like, yeah, but you'd be like, Yes. That is the year that the Chicago Cubs were supposed to have, right? It is in line with their trajectory. Okay, not every time can it be the 2015 Cubs or the 2023 Orioles where it's just like stomping on expectations on the way to the postseason. Sometimes development is linear, okay? Sometimes teams get better slowly. And the Cubs did that this year. It was a huge improvement over last season. Now, does it suck that they finished just one game back in the wild card? It does. And the sequence of events here is what tanked the season. They were bad and then incredible and then fell apart. If they had done this in a different order and come up short at the end, could you imagine if they had had their August and September and like made that push and just fell a little short? It would be people in Chicago would be amped. And I think that's not a fair perspective because what happened did happen. But these Chicago Cubs... I feel better about their organization right now on October 1st than I did when the season started. And I think that's some sort of silver lining. I think I agree with that. Um, And while they didn't have as many wins, like it was a similar trajectory of the Mariners, amazing August, really disappointing September. And the kinds of losses that they had in the last week were especially tough to watch. And I'm looking back at the projections from before the season. They were projected for more like 76 wins. So you could even say they did outperform, but it didn't necessarily feel like it. And now they enter a very interesting winter. Cody Bellinger after the game, you know, saying things in very past tense. Oh, it was great to be a Cub, blah, blah, blah. Maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't. But that is something that they are going to have to decide. And we will see what happens with him. But 
I I think I agree with you. There are a lot of strides in the farm system, but there's still a lot of parts of this roster where I have a lot of questions. So work to do. Uh, some definitely some bright spots. Justin Steele, obviously a massive breakout. Um, they had some say Suzuki was fantastic in his second year. Like there were some things that went really well. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, NL Central, like it's, it should be, you should be able to get back right in it and spend the, some money. The narrative I just concocted may in fact fit even better with the Cincinnati Reds yes. who yes. are eliminated and finished the year 82 and 80, which yes. holy crap. Considering the expectations for them heading into the season and how many rookies they used and how many pitching injuries they had to finish where they finished is a real accomplishment. 100%. I, I feel way better about them right now than oh, I did yeah. in April. Yeah, most of course, we've talked about them. Most MLB debuts this season by far. And yeah, those young pitchers that at times stepped up, you know, ultimately that was, that was the end. On, on Saturday, Connor Phillips, who had delivered some really strong starts, just threw 12 straight balls to start a major league game, which I don't think has ever happened. 12 straight balls and got pulled. I promise you it's happened in college a thousand times. We've seen I that. I promise you over. it's happened to the 10-year-olds I coach. <laughs> I know it happens Happens a little league for sure, but 12 straight balls uh, and then it just really got away from them there. But they fought so hard. I got to see them up close a ton, obviously, and they definitely also have a lot of reasons for optimism. And they also just had so many key pitching injuries that that just crushed them and and just they were playing from behind the whole time and you can criticize that they didn't do more at the deadline but they that was not a situation like Miami where it was like we got to seize it right now like they were going to roll with the young guys no matter what that got them really far it also was probably the reason they they came up short but i think they have a ton of reason to be excited about next season uh one more team got eliminated jake yeah <laughs> that we haven't talked about yeah uh the padres yeah um yikes. Wow. Wow. So not great. <laughs> not the year they wanted or hoped or expected or promised. And heads will roll as a result. Whose heads we are we don't know. Bob Melvin, the manager, his relationship with general manager AJ Preller appears to be completely unsolvable, unfixable, and dead. Totally done. One of them will go. It will probably be Bob Melvin because the owner of the Padres, Peter Seidler, loves AJ Preller, as we know. What this team can do to be competitive next season, that is a question for many offseason podcasts, and we're not going to dive into it now. But let's leave it with this. Wow. That was disappointing. It was unfortunate. It was unlucky. Yes? Yes. But it was also an utter embarrassment for the entire organization because their failures were failures of character and failures of communication and failures of planning, failures of preparation, not failures of talent. Acquiring talent is the hard part, right? Look at the Marlins. (laughs) That's the hard part. And the Padres did that and still they couldn't figure it out. And that is embarrassing more than anything else. Yeah. And uh, and and just fascinating. They will, of course, be a team we are talking about a ton this season. I do believe they were historically unlucky and also historically bad at the little things. Both of those things can be true. The Padres will surely be giving us plenty to talk about in the very near future. Couple quick news and notes before we get out of here. Managerial firings. 
Gabe Kapler was fired over the weekend. He is out. Shouts out to friend of the show, Kai Correa, Division Three baseball icon, for getting to manage the Giants for a couple of days. Jordan, when Kapler got fired, uh, I'll be up front. I was, I was really high when that happened. <laughs> and I was like, where are we going with this? Yes, yes. And I texted you. I kind of had a mental breakdown. Um, over Gabe Kapler's firing, where it was like, if if Farhan Zaidi, the GM of the Giants, doesn't believe in Gabe Kapler, and we all assume that Farhan is like the genius GM, does that mean that we're wrong? Like, is everything mm. I thought about baseball false? And Jordan was like, think about this in the morning. Um, <laughs> well, I think really what I said was... 2021 is one of the more baffling, incredible achievements in baseball history. And it should, as many people have joked on Twitter, it should be studied. Yes. And it is, I'm sure, being studied by many people. I th- I do. I think Farhan is good at what he does. However, this was not a baseball team that had a lot of good baseball players. <laughs> Correct. And that is not so. Gabe Kapler's fault. And that's Correct. where I land. Gabe Kapler has some faults. I think his... He struggles to communicate and relate to players because he is a unique, bizarre, eccentric, and weird person in a good way. I think he's an interesting character in our world of baseball. However, that does not always endear itself to Major League Baseball players. Mm -hmm. I do not think it is as simple as he lost the clubhouse. I think it is more complicated than that. However, he was the perfect manager for the type of baseball that Farhan has been trying to play the last couple of years. It appears now that the Giants are moving into a new era where they're going to spend some dumb money and they're going to go for it, right? Right. And to lead that group requires a different presence. Mm -hmm. And that is why this decision was made. Speaking of Buck Showalter's ouster today in New York, this Mm -hmm. one is remarkably simple, in my opinion. David Stearns is going to become the new POBO president of baseball operations tomorrow in a press conference at Citi Field. He is now the head honcho atop the Mets. He wants to have his own manager in the dugout. Buck Showalter was not that was not that person. That's it. It is that simple. The team was horrible. A new guy is now in charge. He wants to change some things. And Buck is the unfortunate recipient of that situation. I don't really have a whole lot more to say about it. I'm curious if Buck gets another job. I think he will. He's, I'm putting this in quotes, only 67 He has the most wins in baseball history without a World Series championship. And I think he does care about that. And I think that will drive him to manage again. I think the Giants are like a sneaky good fit, but I'm not ready to really speculate on that. I hope Buck gets another chance. He's also an interesting character in the baseball world. Totally agreed. Nothing to add there. And then, of course, Tito uh, is uh, retiring or at least stepping away from Baseball, you know, he's had a lot of health issues recently, so he definitely, you know, identified this as a time to kind of step away from the Guardians. So we, as we sit here today, right as the regular season has concluded, we have three managerial openings. Will we have a fourth? It does seem like we are heading towards a fourth in San Diego with Bob Melvin, maybe a few others, but that or, or that's that is significant, and those are all very, very different jobs with very, very different responsibilities. It is interesting to see it with teams that should still have reasonably big expectations next year, right? Compared to a situation like the White Sox, Grafol's coming back, Ali Marmol sticking around in St. Louis. All ind- indications are, you know, David Ross is coming back with the Cubs. 
Not that that's a huge shock. So we'll see with Boone. We'll see with Council, whatever. I know his contract's up. All kinds of stuff. Manager stuff will work itself out. A couple other pieces of news. Quickly, Felix Bautista is getting Tommy John. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Sucks. Kind of interesting that they were ramping him up. The Michael Elias being like, nothing changed, but we ran out of time. I don't really know what that means. Like, I guess, like, what was your interpretation of that quote? So I heard that Bautista's throwing live did not go well. And okay. that the he did not look like himself. Got it. And the Orioles did not think that they had enough time to get Felix Bautista. Again, like, remember, he took a lot of time off from throwing. Yeah. He didn't throw a ball for a month. And so right. they didn't feel like they had enough time to potentially get him back to where they needed him to be. And again, like these UCL injuries, we just saw Sandy Alcantara have a UCL injury. Go make a rehab start. Start and like pitch four or five innings. And then was like, no, can't do it. So like, these are serious injuries for a reason. And yes, some guys can pitch through it for some amount of time. Some guys can't. It's not a reflection of them or anything. But that is... Now we know for sure, as we remain skeptical the whole time, Felix Bautista will not be a part of the Orioles' postseason run. Uh, Charlie Blackman extended with the Rockies. They're the best. Here's what I'll say about this. I I think I made this comp. I love the Rockies. Uh, He he is... It's not not Joey Votto. Obviously, Joey Votto is going to be a Hall of Famer and has been a better player than Blackman, but like... Blackman, in terms of just like, this is where I love to be. This is where I want to be. Nothing else matters. (laughs) And I honestly think with him, it's probably even more strong than with Joey Votto. And that's nothing about Votto. That's just about where Blackman is. Zach Buchanan actually wrote a great uh, piece uh, about Charlie Blackman, which I encourage you guys all to to, to look up and read. Um, He's just a singular character. And honestly, I kind of like he wasn't even that bad this year. How he got $13 million for next year is very Chad difficult to understand <laughs> based on the quality of player that he is. But again, here's example number five bajillion that the Rockies are operating in their own universe. God Ooh. bless. Jake, let us conclude this podcast, unfortunately, with some sad news. We spoke on Friday uh, about the abhorrent behavior uh, involving Kurt Schilling, talking about uh, revealing his former teammate Tim Wakefield's cancer diagnosis. We got the devastating news before the games began today. The Red Sox announced that Tim Wakefield has passed away at the age of 57. And this was, of course, really kind of shocking, and but also... We'd already been thinking about him since this news came out yeah. in the most unfortunate ways. Um, but seeing the way that, I mean, this is one where it comes out of nowhere, you know, and yeah. 57 is really young and Tim Wakefield was beloved. So, I mean, it's whenever something like this happens, right? It's hug your loved ones, be kind, treat people well, mm-hmm. um, cherish all the days you have on this planet. Mm-hmm. That's no different than when I, when any other beloved famous person or person in your life passes away, right? Sure. I just want to talk about I can't sit here and pretend this is similar to when Brooks Robinson passed away. Like mm-hmm. I can't sit here and pretend like I remember Tim Wakefield mm. um, pitching. Because I remember when, more than Brooks Robinson. I remember, of course. Yes. <laughs> well, I, and like, I got a text today from Clinton Yates being like, uh, Tim Wakefield, 1992 uh, playoff performance was incredible. And I was like, I was not born. Sorry. 
Um, but Wakefield, it is one of the most fascinating, unique careers in the history of the sport. Obviously, he was a knuckleballer, which in and of itself is a aberration. To have trust in a knuckleball, you have to be a particular type of person. And Wakefield very much seemed to be that person. He pitched until he was 44 years old. That is remarkable. And from a bygone era, he is one of the last great knuckleballers. The pitch has, in some ways, left our game. All right, Dickey kept it alive for a little bit. But Wakefield was like, the, he did it for 19 years, man. He mm-hmm. did it for 19 years. And like, what a and- career. What a life. And it's it's a really amazing baseball reference page to look at as well. No uh, no knuckleballer is a knuckleballer because they were always a knuckleballer, right? It's like Most being a them, side armor. They they come to it at some point, and he was a, a star hitter in college before eventually it was like, all right, I'm going to try this. And then to pitch uh, for nearly 20 years in the big leagues is astonishing. And you mentioned the knuckleball essentially being dead. One of the other highlights of today was George Kirby, Seattle Mariners starter, unleashing a knuckleball to Corey Seager and getting a, a ridiculously nasty knuckleball, I should say. One of the, I mean, a really, really good one. And whether or not this was a tribute to Tim Wakefield is unclear. I think I Kirby spoke, said it was. I spoke to George Kirby about throwing a knuckleball because all the Mariners writers had told me over the season, like, all George Kirby talks about is bragging that he has an amazing knuckleball. And so I asked him about it when the Mariners were in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago. And he was like, yeah, like I, in Little League, I was fastball knuckleball. And I throw it all the time uh, until I was actually pitching competitively. And then I just kind of shelved it. And now I just throw it all the time, you know, in, in warmups and bullpens. And I, I don't know when I'm going to break it out. And I was like, yeah, like what, when are, when are we going to see it? And he was joking at the time, like, yeah, we'll do it in an O2 situation, whatever, and you'll never know what's coming. In this case, it's like the the confluence of events here uh, with the tribute to Wakefield and, you know, the Mariners, of course, being eliminated. And then to throw, like, a perfect knuckleball is both extremely George Kirby and a very, very uh, cool moment there. So, but shouts out Matt Waldron with the Padres. I don't know if he's still going to be on the roster next yeah. year, but... He'd been throwing the knuckleball in the big leagues this year, and that is very cool to see. So thoughts to the Wakefield family. Um, really devastating news for the baseball world. Jordan, on that somber note, let's sign off. We will be back tomorrow morning previewing the first round of the playoffs, wild card round. I am on my way to Philadelphia tomorrow afternoon. I will be there mm-hmm. for the entirety of the Marlins Philly series, and we will let you know our thoughts on the other three series as well. I'm Jake Mancess, Jordan Schusterman. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Review the show. It helps it grow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. As you said, you can email us. Thank you, Chris Tyler, for producing. As always, it's the postseason, which means we have way more podcasts coming your way, and we could not be more excited. So thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed this Game 162 recap, and we'll be back with our wild card preview very, very soon. Serious XM Podcasts.